You are listening to Gone But Never Forgotten. Our topics can include, but are not limited to, murder, sexual assault, graphic and gruesome details, and more. These topics are adult in nature and are not meant for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. We have done a few episodes now on serial killers, and we have previously done one covering a female serial killer. Today we're going to look at a case of a serial killer from the United Kingdom who is known as Britain's most dangerous female prisoner. Joanna Dennehy is one of only four women in the United Kingdom to ever have been sentenced to a whole life sentence, meaning that she will be behind bars for the rest of her life. These are the most severe penalties that can be given in the United Kingdom and are dedicated to the worst of the worst criminals. Joanna is certainly an incredibly evil woman. She is in jail for killing three men, attempting to kill two other men, and she shows zero remorse for the things that she has done, nor the lives that she has taken or altered. Hello. My name is Lance, and welcome to episode 108 of Gone But Never Forgotten, the most dangerous woman behind bars in the United Kingdom, the story of Joanna Dennehy. Joanna Dennehy was born in St. Albans, Herefordshire in 1982 to her parents Kathleen and Kevin, and she was raised in Harpenden. Kevin worked as a security guard and Kathleen worked as a grocery employee. The two worked really hard with Joanna in her early life and they hoped that she would one day become a lawyer. Joanna, early in life, as described by people that knew her, was a smart girl, and she seemed to be being set on an excellent path by her parents. But then things changed. People that knew Joanna said that there was suddenly a very distinct change in her personality, her interests, and her behavior. Joanna started to seemingly rebel in every way that she could. She got involved with drinking underage, she got involved with doing drugs, And she started to party very hard and started to care a lot less about the things that she had previously held as important. Joanna also started to date men when she was just a girl. She first was in a relationship at the age of 13 with an 18-year-old man. And then she would again get into a relationship with a 20-year-old man when she was only 15 years old. 
At the age of 15, Joanna started to run away from home as well, doing so eight different times before she turned 16, and thus she had the legal right to choose where she lived. Her sister Maria would say in an interview that it was as though Joanna had woke up one day and decided that she didn't like the path that she was on and the life that she was living or the career that everyone wanted for her. So she changed absolutely everything about herself. Joanna would be diagnosed with psychopathic and antisocial disorders as well as borderline personality disorder. It would be said by most people who knew Joanna at this time of her life that she was very much your prototypical bully. She enjoyed throwing her weight around, and she enjoyed being in control of other people. Joanna was developing the traits that would later serve her in her life and on her murderous spree. She would draw people in with her charisma, and she would make them feel welcome, and protected, and a part of her clique, and then she would viciously turn on them, and bully them, and make their lives a living hell, if they did not conform to Joanna's ideals, and Joanna's desires. Schoolmates would say that it was evident that Joanna loved to cause fear in others, bully other people, and emotionally torment people by telling them things like that they should kill themselves. It was said that she clearly had fun controlling other people and their emotions. Her family points at a time that Joanna met John Treanor as the time that they noticed that things started to go sideways in Joanna's life. They said that that was when Joanna seemed to start the change from the pretty young bookworm that she was into the monster that she became. Joanna and John would get together, as mentioned earlier, when Joanna was 15 and John was 20. They spent 10 years in a relationship together, though. In the Making of a Female Serial Killer, Joanna Dennehy episode, Susanna Reed sat down with John to talk to him about the relationship that the two had to see if he felt any responsibility for the monster that Joanna became. John said that he doesn't take any responsibility and says that he took care of and loved Joanna for many, many years and that from the very beginning he had not lied to her family about his intentions to date their daughter. He even stated that he knew the laws pertaining to statutory rape and that the two had not had any sexual contact until after Joanna turned 16, which is the legal age of consent in the United Kingdom. John said that when Joanna ran away from home, it wasn't because of him, but it was to him. He said that Joanna had stated that she had a huge falling out with her mother and then the two had stayed together. John and Joanna lived in a tent, they lived in garages, they couch surfed, essentially they were homeless. John said that even back then, Joanna loved that life, but he hated it, but that the two stayed together because he loved her so deeply. At 17 years old, Joanna and John would get pregnant together, and John says that Joanna 
completely changed again when she found out that she was pregnant. She stopped drinking, she stopped doing drugs, and she calmed her life right down. He said, though, that as soon as the pregnancy was over, Joanna turned back to herself. When she was not responsible for her choices affecting the baby physically while inside of her, she dove right back into the lifestyle that she loved. John and Joanna would separate for a period of time after being together for five years, but in the end, John took her back, and the two would actually have a second daughter together. John said that after she gave birth the second time, Joanna's behaviors just continued to get worse and worse. She would stick needles into her skin and walk around with them sticking in and out of her arms, and she was doing more drugs and more drinking and just simply spiraling out of control. John said that one day she came home and sat on the floor with her back against it, and she stuck a knife into the floor between her legs and calmly said, I could kill someone. That was the end of the road for John, and he decided then and there that the next day he and their daughters were leaving. Joanna would go off in search of more excitement in life, and she started to delve into the world of prostitution so that she could fund all of her bad habits. Around this time, she also started to steal, and it wasn't long before she found herself in jail for a period of time. When she left jail this time, she headed to the outskirts of Peterborough, and she met a man named Kevin Lee. He was a man who would rent out properties to literally anyone, it seems, including ex-criminals getting out of prison. When Kevin met Joanna, she lied. She told Kevin that she had just got out of prison after serving 13 years behind bars for murdering her father because he had abused her from the age of five. Kevin actually took a liking to Joanna, and not only did he provide her a place to live, but he also allowed her to live there rent-free in return for her working for him. Kevin hired Joanna to become his security, so to speak, in the sense that she would bully any of his tenants that were late in making rent payments to him. Joanna had essentially found a free place to live and a job doing what she loved the most in the world, being a bully. When Joanna found herself doing this job for Kevin, that's when she got in touch with a friend of hers named Gary Stretch. Gary was an enormous human being. He was seven foot three and in fact the tallest person in the United Kingdom at that time. Joanna not only was being essentially paid to be a bully, but she also had the biggest security guard of her own that she could possibly find in that country. At the age of 30, she met a man named Lukas Slabazuski, who was a 31-year-old national from Poland. He was out shopping when he met Joanna out of the blue. Joanna started to flirt with him, something that she was very well known for, and the two hit it off. Joanna gets his phone number, and the two would stay in contact starting only a couple hours later. Their texts would be flirty, they would start sexting, and the two would make plans together. 
Lucas was over the moon, even telling friends that he had met a woman and he now had an English girlfriend. On March 19th, the day after the two met, Joanna told Lucas to come over and see her after flirting more and being very sexual. She gives an address to Lucas, though, that she knows is an empty house because it's one of Kevin's, and she knows that the people who had been living there had just moved out. Lucas undoubtedly thought that he was going to meet up and have an intimate time with Joanna, but that is not what she had in mind at all. When Lucas arrived, Joanna didn't waste any time, and she took him into the kitchen and attacked him, stabbing him one time directly in the heart, killing him instantly. There was no defense by Lucas. He had absolutely no idea what was coming his way. The other issue for Joanne was that beyond killing him, she didn't really seem to have a plan. She had a dead body in the kitchen of one of Kevin's homes, and she didn't know how to get rid of the body. So, she called the one person that she knew she could trust, Gary Stretch. And the two decided to put Lucas's body into a wheelie bin, what we call here in Canada one of those large recycle bins. Joanne was over the moon that she had killed someone. She even stopped a 14-year-old girl in the street to show her the dead body inside of the wheelie, and she took photos with the dead body so that she could show people when she told them the story. Imagine the trauma that must have been caused for that young 14-year-old girl. Joanna clearly had no care or consideration for anyone or anything besides herself, and she needed everyone to know how proud she was of herself. Unfortunately, the exhilaration and pride that she was feeling after murdering often does lead to more murder, and in this case, it certainly did. Within the flat that Joanna was living, one of her roommates was a 59-year-old man named John Chapman, who was a widow and also a Royal Navy veteran. Ten days after Joanna had murdered Lucas, she decided that she needed to fill that hunger again and murder again. So, Joanna took it upon herself to murder John in his sleep in the wee hours of the morning. He was stabbed five times in the heart, and the force of the stabbings were so strong that the knife had gone through John's breastbone. Later that morning, as she had done when she had killed Lucas, she called Gary Stretch to come and help her out with the body again. When she called Gary, she quoted Britney Spears to him when he answered the phone and said, Oops, I did it again. Gary, of course, was under her spell already, and now he knew that she had power over him because of the last cleanup job, and so he helped her clean up her mess again. Joanna and Gary would alert another roommate in the flat, a friend of theirs named Leslie, about the murder, and Leslie even took photos of the body and then agreed to help with the removal of John's body. In the process of moving the body, though, the three of them realized that they had another problem. They realized that they needed to do something about Kevin Lee, because both of the murders had happened in properties that he rented out, 
and as such, he could point the finger at Joanna and Gary as people who had access to those properties. Kevin Lee was, of course, the man who Joanna worked for and who she received her housing from. But there were a lot of rumors at the time and over the years that Joanna and Kevin were also having an affair, unbeknownst to Kevin's wife. Joanna got in touch with Kevin and told him that she wanted to rape him, wearing a dress. And believe it or not, Kevin was very aroused by that and immediately came over to see Joanna. Joanna would brutally murder Kevin when he arrived. Autopsies would later show that Kevin was the first of the three victims that actually put up a fight against Joanna, which was proven by self-defense wounds on his hands. Joanna would murder Kevin by stabbing him five times in the chest. At that point, Joanna, Gary, and Leslie had two bodies to remove, the body of John Chapman and the body of Kevin Lee. That's kind of where things got even weirder. Strangely, they would dump the body of John Chapman in the same ditch as Lucas's body. However, they dumped the body of Kevin Lee in a separate ditch that was 10 miles away. The way that the police would get involved in this case was through a missing persons report regarding Kevin Lee. Kevin was nowhere to be found, but his car was found burnt out in a farmer's field. The day after police started looking into the case, a man was walking his dog when he came across the body of Kevin lying in the ditch. Kevin's body would be found naked from the waist down, and he was placed face down in the ditch with a black sequin dress that was hiked up. It was apparent to investigators immediately that Kevin had been placed into the position that he was found in purposely by someone, which meant that he, they would have had to have gone into the ditch with Kevin's body. They believed that the body was staged like this to humiliate Kevin once more, even after he had already been murdered. Police realized that whoever was behind this took pleasure in humiliating others. They also believed that that showed that Kevin Lee had been murdered by someone that knew him and not by a stranger. When investigators pulled records from the cell towers near Kevin's burnt-out car, they found that one of his tenants had been near where the car was located. That person was 30-year-old Joanna Dennehy. Immediately, investigators believed that this might be a dead end because they could not imagine a woman having gone down into a ditch to stage the body of Kevin Lee. However, they did quickly find out that another person was in the same area, and this man was a 7-foot, 3-inch tall man with a criminal record from burglaries to his name. That man, of course, was Gary Stretch. When police tried to get in contact with Joanna and Gary, they quickly found out that the two were missing, and they realized that obviously that meant that they were on the run. That meant that there were two very dangerous people on the run. Investigators immediately put out a nationwide appeal for anyone with information on the whereabouts of Joanna or Gary to please come forward with it. The two would be on the run for two days, and Joanna even said that they were going to be like Bonnie and Clyde. 
As they ran, they would steal things with the plan of selling them to make more money to fund their run. The two stopped at one of Gary's contacts flat, and Gary and Joanna took photographs of themselves that were certainly very strange. Both of them stopped to take photos, flashing their stomachs, and Joanna took what is now an infamous photo of her looking like she's going to lick a large dagger. The two would then get in touch with another contact named Mark Lloyd, as they knew that he had connections on where they could sell their stolen goods. When Mark was told the story, he said that he didn't want any part of helping them. However, that's when Joanna would bring a knife out from inside of her bra, and she threatened Mark's life if he didn't help. That, of course, did persuade Mark, and he agreed to take them to someone that would buy the stolen goods from them. On the ride there, Joanna was sharing all of the gory details of the murders with Mark and bragging about everything. Mark would later say that he had that she had no remorse or shame about what she had done at all. Mark would also later say that it was very clear that Joanna was the ringleader in everything, and that Gary had clearly fallen under her spell. Suddenly, while they were driving, Joanna turned to Gary and told him that she wanted to have more fun. The vehicle made a stop at a convenience store to buy cigarettes, and Joanna told Mark to go in, but when he got inside, he realized that she was right behind him to ensure that he didn't alert anyone to the ongoing situation. Mark said that that stop was approximately one minute before what happened next. The police, for their part, were getting close. If you're not familiar, much of the UK has CCTV, and they're able to track things like license plates in situations like this one. Joanna and Gary's vehicle had been flagged as a part of a robbery at a store and then tracked into the area that they were at when they stopped to get cigarettes. However, unfortunately they were not close enough. Joanna told Gary she wanted to have her fun and she told him that she wanted to find a man who was walking a dog. They drove along and quickly spotted a man who was just walking his dog alongside the street and Gary asked Joanna if he would do, and Joanna said yes. Gary slammed the brakes on the car, and Joanna got out of the car and attacked the innocent man, stabbing him 20 to 30 times. After she was satisfied, Joanna walked back to the car, got in, and told Gary that she wanted to have more fun. She told him that she didn't want to kill any women, though. She told Gary that she wanted to kill another man out with his dog. Gary would come across another man who was walking his dog, and Joanna again got out of the vehicle and attacked the man. Mark would later say that this attack was much more brutal in nature, and that Joanna was just stabbing the man over and over all over his body. Joanna then took the man's dog, got back into the car, and announced that she had a new dog. The police had sadly been so close at the time of both attacks, which happened within minutes of one another. Thankfully, Joanna would, though, be arrested inside of that car only minutes later, when they were pulled over at gunpoint by more than a dozen officers. 
While the arrest of Joanna was taking place, Gary managed to make a run for it, but he would also be later caught and arrested. I suppose it's not very easy to hide when you're the tallest man in the United Kingdom. The arrests and stabbings all took place in Hereford. Detective Martin Brunning, who was the initial detective on the case, was from the Cambridgeshire Police, and he was forced to sit back and wait as the hunt and the arrests took place. He was thrilled when the call came in that Joanna had been arrested, but was crestfallen when he heard that two more men had been stabbed and were not expected to live, and that those happened obviously before the arrests were able to be made. Just minutes after being arrested, Joanna was caught on camera as she was being processed, and after she was told that she was being arrested on suspicion of murder and attempted murder, her first question was, what happened to the dog? While Joanne is being processed, she starts to exhibit the charm that she seemingly used on all of the men in her life. She started to flirt with every male officer around her just mere minutes after she had stabbed two innocent victims in the middle of the street. She even quipped while she was being booked that there was far worse things than murder and attempted murder. For example, she said, quote, she could be black, fat, and ugly, unquote. Her racism was seemingly oozing out of her while she was simultaneously downplaying her own crimes. In the footage of her being processed, you can really see that Joanna seems to be pleased with where she is at. She seems to finally have the audience that she always wanted, and all of the attention was on her. She was proud of all of the things that she had done, and now she knew that her time had come to be the star of her show. Police believed that the interview would be very interesting, because they believed that Joanna would talk. However, when the time came to talk, Joanna went silent. She started to answer questions with simple, no-comment answers to most of the questions. She was still controlling everything in that moment. As proud as she was of everything that she had done, she didn't want to do any of the police work for them. At this point, police only knew that Joanna had murdered Kevin Lee, and the two men that she had stabbed before being arrested did wind up surviving rather miraculously. But a day after Joanna was arrested, a call came in, that there were two more bodies discovered in a ditch together. The bodies were discovered only 10 miles from where Kevin Lee was found, and they were in fact the bodies of John Chapman and Lucas Slabazuski. When the MO was the same, police realized that they were in fact dealing with a serial killer. After her arrest, Joanna was diagnosed with paraphilia, sadomasochism, which is where someone gets sexual enjoyment and pleasure out of causing pain and humiliation to others. And so, over time, it was obvious that Joanna was not going to talk, and so investigators needed to piece together all of their evidence, and the lawyers on both sides had to work hard to prepare their cases and their time for trial. The first court date was not expected to be very notary, and this was supposed to be one of those cases as well.
It was expected that Joanna would enter her plea of not guilty, and that would be that. In court, the judge asked Joanna how she would like to plead, and in response, Joanna started to scream, guilty, 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 over and over again. Everyone in the courtroom looked stunned, including Joanna's defense team, who were not expecting her to plead guilty. Instead of having the long, drawn-out trial that everyone was expecting, everything was over within an instant. Psychologically, it seems that Joanna decided that instead of letting people have answers to their questions, she was going to keep those answers locked away. One more time, it seems to me that Joanna wanted to be in control and she wanted every headline that she knew she was going to get. Joanna pled guilty to the murders of Kevin Lee, Lucas Slobozewski, and John Chapman, and she also confessed to the attempted murders of Robin Bereza and John Rogers. Joanna became one of only four women in the history of the United Kingdom to be sentenced to a true life sentence. Gary Stretch went to trial and was found guilty of attempted murder, and he was sentenced to life in prison with a minimum of 12 years served before he was eligible for parole. Mark Lloyd was told that he had no case or charges that he needed to answer to, as he was seen as an unwilling accomplice that was with Gary and Joanna against his own will. Since her imprisonment, Joanna still has plenty going on within her life. She has many letters coming to her and going out on a regular basis to men who are fans and seemingly are falling for her charms even when she's in prison for life. She flirts with the men and teases them with telling them details about her crimes and just seems to still be making men fall at her feet for anything that she wants. She also made headlines when she arrived at the prison that she presently resides in, Low Newton Prison, in 2019. One of the other famous prisoners at Low Newton was Rose West, the only other woman at the time serving a whole life sentence. Within minutes of arriving inside the walls of the prison, Joanna said that she was going to kill Rose West, clearly showing her dominance. It was said that Joanna intended to become the top dog of the prison quickly, and she knew that dealing with Rose West was the only way to do so. Her threat was taken so seriously that Rose West was actually moved into solitary confinement and then transferred to another prison to protect her. The government has denied that this is why Rose West was moved. What a crazy... Crazy story this one is. Joanna Dennehy, the most dangerous woman in the UK prison system. It seems to me that everything she did and still does is calculated, in a way. She's unapologetic because she has no remorse for what she does. She controlled the narrative right up to her guilty plea, and she still doesn't give away the information that may give closure to family members. It's a damn good thing that she's going to be in prison for the rest of her life. Although, I should mention that Joanna did have a plot drawn up that was found within her cell. 
The plot was to escape the prison by killing one of her guards and severing the guard's fingers so that she could use the biometric system to escape the prison. Joanna was placed in solitary confinement when the plan was uncovered. Joanna even filed a high court damages claim for human rights violations that she said she suffered because she was held in solitary confinement for over two years. The court rejected her claim and told her that her continued segregation was necessary and proportionate and also in accordance with the law. This case of Joanna is absolutely crazy. It's wild to hear about someone who seemed like she changed her life on multiple different occasions. She went from a sweet, innocent girl to a bully, and then every time she got pregnant, she would back away from the bullying, the drugs, the alcohol, and then jump right in after she had a baby. So she did have priorities. She wanted to take care of her unborn children. I honestly can't even begin to try to <clears throat> understand what happened here. And I the only thing really in the case that jumps out is something I want to hypothesize about is the fact that she went after men with dogs in both of the attempted murders. And I wonder if part of that was because um, the first body was discovered by a man walking his dog. I wonder if she just drew a correlation in her mind and that was why she went after who she went after. Just a crazy story. So I will wrap up today's episode, of course, by thanking you for your time and thanking you for listening and checking out Gone But Never Forgotten. And of course, as always, I implore you to give us a favorite, give us a like, give us a review, um, join us on Patreon if you would like to support the show, and of course, get in touch with us on social media if you have cases you want us to cover, or if you have comments on cases that we have covered. I'm always loving to interact with our fans. So I'll leave it there for this week, and thank you once more for your time. I hope that the next... The week ahead for you goes wonderfully, and I hope that you are, as always, like I always say, endeavoring to be better. Thank you, see you next time, and take care.